Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. So it's not going to come overnight. It's, it's, it's a process, but just, you know, getting up every day, listening to Mark's podcast, you know, hearing the mentality, the mindset of gratitude and abundance, you will get there. Hey, I'm really excited to announce that we're hosting our fifth annual Unbeatable Mind Summit on December 1 to 3, 2017, right here in Carlsbad, California. Now, last year we had an amazing lineup of guests. My friend Rob Wolf, Jimmy Chin, Ben Greenfield, Jesse Itzler, and others. And this year, we're going to have an unbeatable lineup as well. As a thank you for listening to my podcast, I'm offering you a $250 discount if you want to attend this year's summit. Simply go to summit.unbeatablemind.com. That's summit, S-U-M-M-I-T dot unbeatablemind.com. And enter the discount code Unbeatable 250. Unbeatable 250. That code expires on May 29th. So get busy and go enroll today. Trust me, this event is a life changer. Hoo Hey, folks. Commander Mark Devine coming back at you with the Unbeatable Mind podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I do not take it for granted. I'm super stoked to have you here. I know you're busy, whether you're in your car or listening at home or at the office. I know you got a lot of other things you could be doing, so uh, super appreciate you being here. Uh, my guest today is John Lee Dumas, a uh, new friend, entrepreneur, extraordinaire, podcaster, and uh, we just had a real cool you know, kind of pre-conversation about his new life in Puerto Rico, so I'm excited to talk to John. But before I introduce him a little further, uh, let me remind you that rating this podcast um, has really made an impact. I think we have over 300 five-star ratings, so that's pretty cool. So if you haven't rated it and you like what we're doing, then then please do uh, go to iTunes and you know drop a little five star rating in there. Who we are? A couple little updates. Um, one, I hope you're enjoying the political show as much as I am. It is absolute riot. I'm having a blast watching what's going on, and uh, I encourage you to, to just maintain that attitude. Just look at it as, as a big uh, reality drama, and you know that's taken on new meaning with our current president. But seriously, it's always been this way. It'll always be this way, so don't let it affect your day-to-day. Hey, that had a rhyme, didn't it, John? That's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I just came up with a new slogan. <laughs> Anyways, so have fun with that. A couple new things coming up. SealFit is launching a new product called Bootcamp, which is kind of our answer to CrossFit without barbells and with mental training laced throughout. It's going to be a video format, kind of like P90X. Super excited about it. I think I lead like five or six of the workouts and the rest of my coaching staff is leading the, uh, the other four or five. And I'm working on a new book, Unbeatable Mind for Leaders. And uh, that's going to be pretty cool. So I'll be talking about that probably in a future podcast. And that's it. So John is the um, founder and host of 
Entrepreneur on Fire, or E on Fire, which is a super successful podcast. I've been a guest on uh, John's podcast. He's had over 1,500 interviews with super successful entrepreneurs. And he's made a business out of this. It's been really successful. It's pretty cool. I can't wait to talk about that. So this this podcast is going to have a focus on, on entrepreneurship and ideas for kind of accelerating your personal slash business life because they're intertwined. And a lot of you uh, on this or listen to this podcast are entrepreneurs or are moving in that direction. Uh, John is also an army guy. I won't hold that against him. I had an ROTC scholarship, served in the army for eight years and served in Iraq after 9-11. I think we might have been in Iraq around the same time, John. So when were you over there? 03 to 04 for 13 months. Right on, I was. I was over there in 04. So I was stationed in Baghdad and, you know, we, you know, cruised around quite a bit, but that was most of my time was in Baghdad. Whereabouts were you? I was a little more west in the Fallujah, Habania, Ramadi area. Got it. Cool. And what was your, uh, you were a, a, a platoon leader for an armor platoon? Yeah, armor platoon. So that's kind of somebody that is in charge of tanks. I was in charge of four M1A1 Abrams, 16 men, and just part of a, an armor battalion, which is, Typically between 800 to 1,000 men. No shit. And, and did you guys see contact, I'm sure? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were there from September of 03 to October of 04. So we, we saw the whole thing, and it was pretty intense. I will say I was pretty fortunate to be stationed under 1st Mardiv. So that was, uh, that was quite a relief. That, and wasn't um, Mattis, wasn't he the guy running Mardiv yeah. at the time? That was it. That was yeah, him. General Mattis. I remember him because I was there with, the, uh, with SEAL Team 1. And SEAL Team 1 was um, hosting, I should say, or, or, you know, under their command was the Marine Corps SOCOM DET, Special Ops uh, Command DET, which was the proof of concept for whether the Marines could be part of SOCOM. And uh, I remember the guys that Mattis, when Fallujah kicked off, Mattis had said, hey, I want my SOCOM DET up here, you know, to support the Marines. And the SEALs said, no, that'll, you know, that'll invalidate the proof of concept. And the Marines were really pissed. They're like, we want our guys. And went all the way up to Rumsfeld. And they're like, no, that, that whole, the reason for that whole proof of concept is to prove that these guys can operate in a spec ops environment, not just support Marines, which is what they, you know, we know they can do that. So pretty interesting. Matt, Mattis was, uh, they called him Mad Dog Mattis, right? Yes. And us Army guys were like, you know what? Just tell us what to do when you're ready. We'll just stand back. No problem. <laughs> awesome. Well, th- <laughs> th- thank you for your service. John, let's tell let's back up a little bit. Tell tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are, where you came from, you know, what were some of the drivers early in your life that kind of led you into the army and then we'll kind of roll from there. Yeah, I'll give the real quick background. I'm just frankly a country boy who grew up in the state of Maine in a tiny town, just uh just two thousand people. Uh graduated in nineteen ninety-eight on an army ROTC scholarship going to Providence College in Rhode Island. And Back in 98, you know, the world was good. My father was prior service. He was a JAG officer for 32 years. Nice. Um, both, both of my grandparents served. My grandfather on one side in the Navy, my grandfather on the other side in the Army. So I just came from a family of service, and I, I knew that I wanted to continue that. And again, it was a lot easier to kind of raise your hand and say, yeah, I'll take a free scholarship to college in 1998 than it was for people that were doing that same thing in 2004, six and eight. So, you know, I, I got to give those people a lot of credit that did that. Cause I was just like, oh, you know, four years after, after college, like no big deal. I'll probably just be stationed somewhere in the States and, and, and get by and do whatever. But sure enough, my senior year of college, 
that's when 9-11 happens. Right. So I was the first round of officers that were commissioned post 9-11. We were commissioned, you know, a, a handful of months later in May of 2002. Wow. And then we were off. We were off to the races. I mean, they rushed us, you know, through everything. We had a, a we had an abbreviated uh, training. I was in Fort Knox for armor officer basic course. And that was abbreviated to kind of speed us up right. to get us to our platoon so that they could then get us deployed overseas. And by September of 2003, I was already in Iraq. Like it was pretty much bang, 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 which, you know, for a 23 year old, um, my head was kind of spinning a little bit, but luckily, you know, I, I, great training in college, mm -hmm. uh, great training um, post college as well. So I went there feeling pretty, pretty safe and secure with the people that I was with as far as, you know, that they knew what they were doing, you know, as right. safe and secure as you can be, of course, you know, when there's mortar rounds dropping all around you at night and stuff, but right. as, as much as you can be. And, I spent four years um, active duty, so did um, 2002 to 2006 as an officer, and then entered the reserves as a captain in mm -hmm. 2006, and spent the next four years in the reserves. Okay. And then in 2010, that was when uh, my reserve time ended, so I entered the quote-unquote civilian world, and <laughs> I tried a lot of things, Mark. I, I just didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was very traditionalist throughout my entire life. I didn't really have an entrepreneurial bone in my body up mm -hmm. until that point, and I think that's actually a really well, let me stop there. Don't you think yeah, that do the military kind of causes you to be have some of the skills and qualities of an entrepreneur? I certainly experienced that in the SEAL teams. I mean, maybe that was unique to the SEALs, but you know, you're you're on your own over there, right? Pretty much, even though you've got a strict chain of command and everything, you're in charge of those four tanks and keeping them running and all the you know feeding the troops and the care and you know emotional you know. Uh, bonding and and so and you got to solve problems. I mean, in the military, you have to. You're like a MacGyver. You got to solve problems, which is very entrepreneurial. Do you? Am I right, or am I just kind of, you know, making that up? The responsibility that is heaped upon the shoulders of the 22, 23, 24-year-old lieutenants yeah. in the Iraq war was incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and I will say that the major in our battalion, a great guy. He always said, this is a lieutenant's war. And, you know, I, I'm sure other people had other experiences for sure. But as far as with what the Army's involvement was, it was it was a lieutenant's war. They would send us out as platoons and we would go out and we would be separate from the base. And the captains, you know, in charge of the companies, they would be back at base kind of directing the chessboard. But it would be us on the ground, you know, me with with my four tanks and 16 men that would be encountering the situations and having to make the on the spot situation. So, the, the amount of responsibility was staggering and looking back on, especially in these completely life and death scenarios that, again, absolutely later in my life aided greatly into my entrepreneurial ventures that I've since gone into. But I will say that, you know, even within the responsibility that was heaped on, I still felt very traditional as far as like, this is the path, you know, I go from second lieutenant to first lieutenant to captain, and then right. I, there's a chain of commands. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, that kind of led and I'm not going to get too far here. But you know, when I got out of the army, I, I was just like, what's that next traditional step? And that's where, you know, I tried law school, mm -hmm. and, and I tried corporate finance, because I thought that that was the right path for somebody like mm -hmm. me with my history, right? Well, that's pretty pretty common, you're right. So traditional, a lot of mm -hmm. my a lot of my peers go to get their MBA or law school, or you know, and a lot have gone into finance. So it makes sense. Totally. Or, or do it to uh, someone else's startup. And it looks like you. So tell us about that period. Like, how many years did you spend kind of searching? I, I see. You know, you also were involved in real estate. So what? You know, was that like a 
just a two-year quick run through those, or did you spend a number of years, you know, kind of working th- through those options, trying to figure out what was next? It was six years. It six was years. not a short stint because, you know, I, I left uh, 2006 active duty. I was in the reserve for four years, but while I was in the reserves, I mean, I had all the time in the world to 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 try other things, and that's when law school and the corporate finance and real estate happened, and that was over six years of of trying, you know, going down a certain a certain amount down those paths, and then seeing that it wasn't for me, and kind of bailing out, and then trying that next thing. So, it wasn't a couple quick experiments, and then like off to this home run, which is you know EO Fire. It was six years of struggle, of failure, of not finding my my thing, so to speak. So it was not a quick period of time, and there's a lot of not just lack of success, but lack of happiness really, because I had gone from being feeling really of service mm-hmm. in the army to now being like this kind of drifting soul of like, what am I doing mm-hmm. in this cubicle, you know, trying to get people to buy, um, you know, variable annuities. It just didn't make sense to me. <laughs> oh my God, I've been there. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was there before my military career though. And, I, and a lot of people who come to our training and I'm sure that you talk to uh, have experienced that kind of existential crisis. Yeah. I'm wondering big. what it's all about when the corporate world is so flat and, you know, lifeless, it seems like. So what I love about what's happening today with the gig economy and entrepreneurship and the ability to, you know, like, well, you've been start a podcast, which no one even knew what it was five years ago and earn a, earn a really nice living, um, is that we're kind of bringing life back into what it, you know, what it means to work. And I think that's probably what, one of the things that I think I'd like to talk about maybe a little bit further down the road is some of the, you know, the cool people that you've talked to in your podcast who are bringing life back into work. So did, you know, what was kind of like the lowest low that you've had that, that turned into one of your biggest lessons in life, like your biggest learning moment? Well, I will say this, and this kind of is going a little further back than maybe my lowest low, but it was probably the the most difficult scenario that I ever faced in my life. Over the course of my 13 months of deployment, I faced the the reality that four of my soldiers in my platoon of just 16 men gave the ultimate sacrifice. They were killed in battle. So, you know, this is a platoon that you deploy with. They're your family. You've looked at their spouses in the face and said, you know, I will bring, you know, your, your husband, your loved one home. And, and now, you know, you, you failed on that. And that was, that was a devastating uh, scenario for me to have to go through. And it was four separate um, times throughout those 13 months. So it wasn't just like one time. It was just like, it was again and again and again and again. And, and having to stand as the platoon leader in front of those coffins, you know, as they're, they're playing amazing grace and seeing like the flag draped over and just, you know, being so sad about that scenario, I committed each one of those times that I was never going to live a life that was going to be less than what I knew I was capable of living because I just saw a hero uh, give up his opportunity mm. to live that life um, for you know for his country, and so I, I just was not going to dishonor what they had given up by just being some lifeless slug going to a job that they hated and just kind of, you know, petering my way through work. I thought that'd be the biggest form of dishonor that I could give to these, to these heroes. And so there was a couple times when I was faced with that after the army, that was during law school. And while I was doing, you know, that, that, uh, cubicle life in the, in corporate finance, and then even in real estate and just saying to myself, you're not honoring these people who you committed to living a life you know, on fire. Like that was like my phrase. I was like, I want to live a life on fire and I'm not doing it. And so that gave me the courage in those three separate times within 
my law school failure and dropping out and then corporate finance just being disgusted with the job not not right away but you know after a ser- series of time just kind of getting a little disillusioned and then in real estate and having the courage to break away and say this this is not what i promised that i was going to commit to and that uh, each one of those those decisions were very difficult because each path that i was on was going to lead to quote unquote success down the road but what is success and, and how was I defining success? And of course, in hindsight, Mark, you know, it's just 2020. It's so easy for me to see that I was just defining success incorrectly, but I just didn't know it at the time. Right. Yeah. And you can forgive yourself because that, that's what you were taught to define success. What I love about that story is that it's such a great example. You know, I'm speaking to the listeners now for of feeding the courage wolf. Like, so losing a teammate in combat is, is extraordinarily painful and hard. And, Many people get sucked into depression and, and it's a, you know, it's a root cause of PTSD because, you know, you feed the fear wolf and A, is it, is it going to happen to me? B, is guilt, you know, why didn't, why did I let this happen? And, and why him and not me or why her and not me? And, just, you know, to have that happen four times, John, is, is extraordinarily painful and could have been devastating for your entire life. But, but you chose to find a positive motivator out of that, a, a silver lining. And so you use their, their memory to spur you on to something bigger and better. And that's, that's such a great example for everyone to, to hear because there are a lot of vets out there suffering from PTSD for the exact same reason who could haul themselves up by their, by their bootstraps with, you know, with healthy thinking instead of, you know, unhealthy drugs. Yeah. And I hope that people are also taking away from this, that it wasn't overnight for me. Like I made that commitment four times and I don't want people listening being like, well, you know, John just like snapped his fingers and then the clouds part of the sun was shining and and he was happy the rest of his life because that was the furthest thing. I mean, again, I had to go through those six years of struggle post making those commitments four separate times to finally snap myself into alignment, which, you know, took failures and obstacles and challenges and, and really just having to look in the mirror and saying, like, what are you doing? So it's not going to come overnight. It's, it's, it's a process, but just, you know, getting up every day, listening to Mark's podcast, you know, hearing the mentality, the mindset of gratitude and abundance, you will get there. Right. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Ample Meal. Now, Ample is a new entrant into the meal replacement market. So essentially, it's a healthy meal in a bottle. What I love about Ample is this is so much more than just a protein shake. It is a complete meal, including fiber, healthy fats, protein, and carbohydrates, all in a very convenient plastic bottle that you just shake it up, add water, shake it up, and then you drink it. And not only do you get hydrated, but you actually get a really well-crafted 400 or 600-calorie meal for busy professionals and athletes and warriors on the go. This thing is fantastic. I believe it's going to replace the MRE for the military because it's healthy. It's actually made out of very, very healthy, non-GMO, nothing artificial. You know, the fats are from like macadamia nuts and, you know, all sorts of good stuff in this thing. So terrific, terrific uh, new option for those of us who train hard and are busy professionals and sometimes just literally have to grab something and go. So at least we're going to get a complete meal now with ample meal and listeners can use the code unbeatable if you go to amplemeal.com and for any order over 50 bucks you're going to get two bonus meals with your order so go to amplemeal.com use the code unbeatable for the special two bonus meals and trust me i use this every day now it's it's become my go-to and i love it so ample meal is awesome thank you guys thank you connor uh, for creating this cool new food source 
Kuya out here. So what, um, what else kind of changed your mindset from the traditionalist trying to look for a job or finding success in the material world, you know, to being a very successful entrepreneur? There, there must have been other triggers that you can point to or, or other moments. Well, just like I shared that there wasn't like a moment yeah. for what I went through, um, you know, just with the with the the, the loss of my soldiers, et cetera, and, and what it took, there actually was a moment um, when my whole mindset did shift mm-hmm. when it came to what I wanted out of life and how I was going to define, quote unquote, success or mm-hmm. happiness. And it was an Albert Einstein quote, and I'll never forget because I had read this quote, you know, multiple times. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a pretty It's a pretty famous quote. And it was nothing new to me as far as like I'd seen it in books, et cetera, but I had never heard it. And it never, I had never absorbed this meaning. I just kind of skimmed over like so many of us, you know, skimmed through life. I just didn't really look at the deep root meaning of it. But finally, at the age of 32, it was almost like I was ready to to read this quote for it to mean something to me. And this was five years ago, Mark. This is right I know on the, the precipice yeah. of launching my podcast. Do you know? I, I, yeah, I think what you're going to say is if you keep doing the same thing and expecting different results, it's the definition of insanity. <laughs> that's an amazing quote, I will say. But that's say. not it, huh? But it's not the quote. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been, though. Could the, have been. the quote that changed everything for me, and it, it really hovers around success, is, is Albert Einstein, try not to become a person of success, but rather a person of value. And the first time I read that, I was just like, I don't even know what this guy's talking about. I don't even know what he means. Like, of course, you want to become successful. And that's why I was going into law school and then going into corporate finance and then, you know, trying to become a commercial real estate broker because I thought that that was the path to success. And then six years of just failing and hitting a wall and struggling and not being happy, I said, well, geez, you know, maybe this guy has something here. I mean, if he's telling me to not try to become this person of success, but rather just be a person of value, that's flipping everything on his head. But how can I do that? How can I actually honor his words of being that person of value? That's when I kind of pulled myself out of that box that most of us live our whole lives in. And I said, well, how can I just provide free valuable and consistent content. And I looked at the ways that I was getting content, reading books, listening to audiobooks, you know, which led me to listening to podcasts. This is back in 2010 and 11 when just there wasn't that many podcasts that were out there and definitely not that many that were being done by individuals. And I was like, wow, I know that this free medium of podcasting is is really connecting with me as a consumer. And I also know that one thing that I complain about within this niche is that I looked day one for that daily podcast that interviews successful entrepreneurs because I was driving to work every day. I was going to the gym. Like I wanted that daily show. I mean, they had a daily news show of like APM Marketplace. Why wasn't there a daily show interviewing an entrepreneur? And I was shocked that it didn't exist. And I said, well, what if I fill that void? And just like Albert Einstein said, just be that person of value. And I had no idea how I was going to make money. Mm -hmm. I had no idea like where the revenue was going to come from. I just knew that I had to try something different because for the last six years, I had just been failing and struggling. So that's when the idea for Entrepreneur on Fire came. Mm-hmm. And that was you know now over 1,600 episodes ago, over 45 million listens ago. It's now turned into a seven-figure-a-year business and that we wow. generated over $10 million in revenue just in the past three years. So wow. it came from shifting my mindset from chasing success to just saying, how can I be a person of value? Wow, that is fantastic. And and I'm right there with you. And I describe, you know, the process I went through when I was a CPA, kind of 
struggling with that same existential crisis. Like, how do I find that? I don't define success in this paycheck and, and in this um, career. And then, you know, through my meditation training, developing what I can now call a personal ethos, which back to your quote or Einstein's quote is really was about defining what is valuable to me so that I had a set of values to live by and then aligning with that. So then I could deliver that same level of value back to society. Right. Mm. And Mm. so that's kind of what you did. You said, how can I, you know, but you had to deliver value in a way that, you know, was something that you could be passionate about. Right. And that was purposeful to you. And so how did you find, you know, where was the purpose for you in EO fire? Like where did, you know, the, Beyond just say, hey, I want to do a podcast, like there was there were other factors that caused you to want to interview entrepreneurs. And where did that come from? Or where was that decision point? So not to like turn this into a quote podcast, but they have been a pretty big impact on my life. And another quote that I I, I live by and I actually end every one of my podcasts with, um, including the one that you were on, Mark, is mm-hmm. I say, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And mm-hmm. that's a Jim Rohn quote. I love that quote. And I looked around at my five back in 2012, and it wasn't that impressive. And I said, how can I up my five? How can I improve the people that I'm hanging out with the most? I said, how can I start having conversations with people that are inspiring and successful and entrepreneurial and are out there that are doing really cool things? And being a podcast host was the medium for that. I didn't have a passion for podcasting in in a sense. I never wanted to have a radio show or none of those things. I just wanted to have conversations with successful and inspiring entrepreneurs because I knew that that knowledge that I would gain from that would be amazing. And plus, I knew the relationships that I would make with these incredible individuals would be priceless as well. Now, the reality is, I'm just, you know, back in 2012, I'm, I'm JL nobody, you know, I'm not JLD. I'm J nobody has heard of me. Nobody knew of me. It was my first go in this entrepreneurial world. So I knew that I had to give people a reason to give their most valuable asset, which is time to me and give me 20, 25 minutes on a Skype call or, or whatever that might be to have a conversation about how they become successful and their worst moment and their aha moment, et cetera. And the only way I was going to be able to do that, Mark, was if I actually had some kind of an audience that I could give a value back to them. So I was just saw podcasting as this medium that would allow me to create a show that would hopefully gain a listenership. And then I could go to that listenership and say, Hey, Seth Godin, you know, I know that you're, you're about to launch a book on entrepreneurship. I have, you know, a handful of listeners on my show and they would love to hear some more details and let's sell some books for you. So I could give that kind of value proposition back before, you know, my podcast was getting over 2 million listens a month, which it is now. Back when I was just like, hey, I got a, I got a handful of people listening that want to hear your message. What do you say? Mm-hmm. Wow, two million a month. That is spectacular. So let's, um, can you t- uh, give me a sense for like who your uh, most interesting guest was and, and or what the biggest idea or ideas that you've learned through this you know, journey? And that was probably a difficult question because you've interviewed so many people. But are, are there one or two that have really stood out to you? Besides me. You know, there is one that does kind of stand out because it was about at the halfway point of my now overall podcasting journey. So I'm I'm uh, approaching episode 1600. And so like right around the 700s, um, I interviewed this person um, whose name is Aaron Walker. And he wasn't like the biggest entrepreneur in the world. He was actually just kind of getting going, but he was the nicest guy. He was kind. And he just, I really connected with him in the pre-interview chat. And then he said something on the show that kind of shifted things for me at that time in my career. 
Um, again, this is 700 days ago. That's kind of the, um, or actually now almost 800 days ago. That's kind of the cool thing about doing a daily show. You can just kind of do that math pretty quickly. <laughs> right. But I, I just had this shift where I was like, wow, I'm really successful right now with EO Fire. I mean, it's a show that's growing. I'm generating hundreds of thousands of dollars every month in revenue through sponsorships, through my communities, through my books and my, you know, product. All these things are just working really well. And I was telling him about that. And he's like, he's like, you know what, JLD, you really are successful, but how are you being significant in mm -hmm. this world? And he kind of caught me off guard. I'm like, what do you mean? There's something above being successful. Like here I was, yeah, I followed Albert Einstein. I was providing value, value, value first. I became a person of value and then success found me just like Albert said it would. And boom, now I'm rocking and rolling. Isn't that the pinnacle? And he's like, what about significance? How do you go from success to significance? Mm -hmm. And that phrase just kind of hit me across the face. And I said, wow, I really need to up my game in the significance uh, level. And that's when I really started opening my eyes and, and looking for different causes and different areas that I could really kind of throw my weight around, you know, both financially, but then also just as an, an authority figure with, with a, a large following and a lot of people that, that listened to what I had to say. So I did things like launch um, highspeedloaddrag.org for, uh, for those transitioning out of the military. And, and I, I would help mastermind and train them to, to transition, not even just into entrepreneurial, but into just civilian life because of the things that I saw were severely lacking. Mm. Uh, when I had my transition back in 2006, I, I just wanted to kind of let them know that, you know, yeah, you've been an officer now for four, six, eight years. That's not your tickets to be the CEO of some company. In fact, you know, I, my, my job that I told you that I had in corporate finance, I was sitting next to a 22-year-old college graduate who went to the exact same college as me. He went to my college, and I just had a desk right next to him. Just like, but mm. he just like skipped the four years that you know that I that I spent in the army to like quote unquote get that job, and he was just sitting there right next to me. And I was like, wow, like <laughs> eye-opening experience. And I wanted to give that just kind of reality to to people that were getting out of the military and just wanted to have conversations about what it was really like. So that was something big. And then I interviewed pretty soon afterwards uh, this. A person who's now become a close friend of mine, Adam Braun, who founded this great charity called Pencils of Promise. And I'm a big believer in education, like not necessarily traditional education, but just being able to educate yourselves. And I mean, there's nothing better than going to Google when you have a question and just getting amazing answers and being able to self-educate. But so many people don't even have that opportunity. And that's what Pencils of Promise does. Like they give education to those less fortunate in developing countries. And through that, like I've been able to rally my uh, audience, Fire Nation, around different things that I've done. And we've raised just last year over $75,000, which we gave two pencils of promise to build three schools in developing countries and just do stuff like that. So that kind of, you know, is the answer that I have when you say like, you know, is there somebody that's kind of really come out and and really change the directory of my business and my life? It, it would be Aaron Walker with that quote. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it's interesting because what it brought up for me was um, another fellow, you know, I was, I was talking to you and we, you know, we kind of had some peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, coaching back and forth. And you probably know the guy, but I, I won't say his name. But, you know, was always using that term, you know, like the next stage of his life is to move from success to significance. And the challenge I had with it was that for him, it was still an egoic goal. Meaning like he was financially successful now to show the world that he was important. He had to do something that was beyond the financial and it was significant. And it was a little bit 
struck by that because my sense was like what what Walker's talking about and and what Albert Einstein is talking about is something that comes from the spirit. You know what I mean? It's not the ego or it comes from a deep wellspring of, you know, needing to serve a bigger game at a bigger game or bigger level, you know? So I just want, I just wanted to put that out there and I'm not saying that, you know, this is your issue at all. And I'm, I just came into my mind that, you know, when we're looking for success, there is, there is kind of a meme going on today that entrepreneurs have to be social entrepreneurs and, you know, you have to play this big game and impact the world. And I get that. And I think it's important, but it'll fall flat if it's coming from an egoic need to be seen. Does that ring true to you at all, John? That really rings true. It does. And I will say it's just interesting, you know, we could probably have a whole other podcast topic on this, but there has been a lot of interesting work that I've seen come out where the reality is, you know, everything that we do in life, at least on some level, is self-serving. I mean, that's what it means to be a human being. That's like we're innately born with this, you know, no matter what it is, you know, Mother Teresa, you know, she loved the fact that people around the world said, oh, why aren't you more like Mother Teresa? You know, it's like this little mm, self-serving yeah. thing. So it's on some levels, but when you talk about it in the manner, the example that you just gave, where that's the the, the focus, that's the overall driving factor, then I think that's always going to be a mistake and people are going to see through that and it's just not going to help you yeah. really achieve the aims you're hoping for. But I think we still have to be realistic personally that we're humans and right. to err is human, you know, to forgive is divine and we're going to err and we're never going to be perfect. So if you have these thoughts and you're just like, oh my God, Mark and John were saying that if I have like any kind of self-serving <laughs> interest here, like I'm a loser, not quite, you no. know, just, 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 just don't make it all about the ego. <laughs> right. If I could add a little to that, cause I think that was brilliant and you're totally right. But mother Teresa's self-service was also serving humanity. Right. And, and uh, Bill Gates' self-service, you know, through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is also serving humanity. So, you know, self-service just in service of the self is extremely limiting. Self-service in service of the self and your tribe, let's say your tribe is your, you know, your gang or even your country at the expense of the rest of the world is also very limiting. But when you can serve yourself and serve, you know, your broader tribe and serve humanity all at the same time, now, now you've got some serious alignment. And, that, and that's really what we're talking about when we say, you know, you become a world-centric entrepreneur or a world-centric warrior is that you can serve all of those and meet everyone's needs. And, and the quality of thinking, you know, is really distinct and, and rare when you're at that level. And I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs are actually there these days, but not all. Like there are, like I said earlier, there are... And I've come across tons who are really just think that that's, the, you know, think that that's what is expected of them. And so they're still stuck at, in the self evolutionary state, you know, I love but, that phrase that you used world centric warrior. That's cool. Yeah, yeah that is cool. <laughs> this podcast episode is brought to you by Organifi. Now we all know that green juice is good for us, but juicing is a pain. It costs a fortune and it's super time consuming. At least that's my story. Uh, I don't juice. So that's why I opt for Organifi Green Juice as an alternative because it's super easy, super tasty. It's an organic superfood green juice powder. Just add it to your water and stir it up. It dissolves almost immediately. Drink it and it will help sustain your energy throughout the day. It'll reduce stress over time. And best part is it really tastes good. 
So check it out. To get your micronutrients from a superfood green juice, use Organifi. I think stuff is great. Go to Organifi.com, and these guys are super generous. I know the founder, and they have offered a 20% discount to you on your order. So go to Organifi.com, use the code UNBEATABLE at checkout, and get 20% off your order. And uh, that link is also listed below in the show notes to this episode. Organifi.com. Hoo-yah. So, hey, let's move on um, before we get too metaphysical here because, you know, sometimes I'm, you know, I slide into that category <laughs> and I'm, I'm pretty comfortable there and people must think I'm kind of nuts, but uh, um, I'm okay with that. Let's talk about goals and uh, I loved, loved, loved your mastery journal. In fact, I, I really want a copy of it. I, I just haven't been, I've been too lazy to go like find one or order it. So maybe you can send me one or <laughs> tell me where to find one. Let's talk about your mastery journal. Let's talk about goal setting because it's, when I looked through the, the digital copy of that, what you sent me, I was like extremely impressed with the way you laid out how to accomplish a goal. So can you kind of give us your process? Cause a lot of people struggle with that. I mean, it's hard work to do effective goal setting. It's super hard work. In fact, that's the number one question that I got from my listeners. They were saying, John, you've now interviewed over 1,600 successful entrepreneurs. Like, what's, their all, their, what's the one commonality they all share? And doing some deep research, I realized that my guests who were successful did have the commonality that they knew how to set and accomplish goals. And so many of my listeners who were struggling were struggling with that very thing. So I kind of wanted to, to set out and establish and create a tool, a guide, the step-by-step resource that would allow people to really just further themselves in whatever entrepreneurial, you know, health, relationship area that they really knew that they needed to. And when I started back in 2012, I really only had one skill set that I think was incredibly beneficial, and that was discipline. And I definitely look back at the military and thank the military for that because the military showed me the benefits of being a disciplined individual. And and I saw that. And then I saw how a lot of entrepreneurs weren't super disciplined in a lot of areas. And I knew that that was going to be something that I could come in and maybe expose for the good for me. And I could really make the most of that if I could just be disciplined and, and really double down on that. And over the past four plus years now that I've been running EO Fire, I've been able to really develop um, my discipline to even a higher level and then add these two other skills, which are the three skills that that I really focused in on uh, within the Mastery Journal, which is productivity, discipline, and focus. I was able to add productivity and focus to my strengths, which I have few, but they are mighty. So (laughs) I'm incredibly productive. I'm super disciplined and I can be very focused when the time comes down to it. So that's what the mastery journal is. And the the subject line or the tagline for this, the mastery journal is master productivity, discipline, and focus in 100 days. And that's exactly what it will do. In 100 days, it guides you how to master those three skills. And I am positive that me mastering those three skills is the reason why I am a seven-figure a year earner with my business, EO Fire, which is me in a a room here in Puerto Rico with my girlfriend next door in her quote-unquote office and a couple virtual assistants around the world. I mean, I've been able to build a multi-million dollar a year business that's you know, it has left me completely financially independent, location independent, because every morning I wake up 
and I focus on being productive, disciplined, and focused within my life. And I wanted to create the Mastery Journal to do just that. So that's what the Mastery Journal is. And Mark, I think that you probably have those three things pretty well in hand as well, but you, you have a Mastery Journal coming your way. Oh, that's fantastic. So where can so MasteryJournal.com, is that the URL you're using for that? Yeah. So what I did was on January 23rd, I launched a Kickstarter campaign, um, which is a crowdfunding campaign. And I just wanted to to do that for a number of reasons. I wanted to get it out there and and offer a lot of cool rewards that was not just the book itself. And Kickstarter allows you to do that. So, And actually right now, as we're talking, um, Mark, we're actually about to cross the $200,000 mark for this Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. And this is for a $39 journal. So what I think is important for people to kind of take away from this is what is really important for you in your small business as an entrepreneur is if you're willing to do what we talked about earlier and just commit to delivering free, valuable, and consistent content, build an audience around that niche, Mm -hmm. and then ask them what they're struggling with, listen to them, and then provide them the solution in the form of a product or a service or a community. You know, for me, it's this mastery journal. Mm -hmm. Then you'll win, and and you'll you'll win financially. And that's how I built my business, and it didn't happen overnight. I didn't make a dollar for the first nine months of EO Fire, but when I did turn on the revenue streams, it was a waterfall, like it wasn't a trickle. And and that's where the real secret lies. And I mean, you know, this isn't the first time we've done this. I mean, it was 2016, a year ago, we launched the Freedom Journal, which is all about accomplishing goals. And that did $453,000 in 33 days. And that's why we're following it up with this one right here, because that's where the inspiration lays. Right. That is really neat. Uh, You just gave me some, some great ideas. I think I need to do a Kickstarter or Indiegogo for my next book, and I want to follow follow up with you on that. How to do that? Yeah, well, and let me tell you why. Maybe real I quick, should Mark, come down to Puerto Rico and spend a day with you. There it is, <laughs> Palooza, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason why it's important to to potential for people to potentially think about going the Kickstarter or crowdfunding route is because your time is your most viable um, asset that you have. And so many entrepreneurs, Mark, spend so much time, energy, and effort creating a product they think people will pay for, and then it comes time and they don't pay for it, and you've wasted all of that. Doing something like a crowdfunding campaign for something that might not work will prove to you, like for instance, if I didn't hit my my goal of $25,000 for this campaign, then I would have known that it was not gonna be worth my time to sit down and create the essence of this mastery journal. Now we hit that in six hours, so I mean we crushed it, and, I, and, and now I know 100% that there's a market that's going to take out their money and invest in this product. So that's what crowdfunding can do. It can prove your concept before you spend your most valuable asset time creating it. That is great. I love that. Cool. Well, we're almost out of time, John. This has been so cool. I, di- I did want to ask you because a lot of a lot of uh, successful people are struggling with taxes and you know all the freaking expenses that come after success. And you told me before this podcast you up and moved to Puerto Rico and you now pay <laughs> a flat four percent tax. Period. Like end of story. Wow, that is. Cool. It's pretty epic. You know, I love San Diego. I love the United States in general. Um, but it was brutal. You know, 2016 was a tough year for us as far as, 
you know, we generated multiple millions of dollars. And when you do that, um, my CPA, who's amazing, came to me and said, John, you're going to have to write a seven figure check to Uncle Sam. And I said, wow, that hurts. That hurts. And, you know, the reality was um, it's what had to happen. It's the law. And I was proud to do it. You know, as I told you pre-interview, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a proud veteran and a patriot. And, and that's that's awesome. But I said to him, hey, you know, I'm location independent. I'm financially independent. If if there's, you know, an 100% legal way for me to to do something cool, I'm up for an adventure. Like, go find something out for me. I mean, I don't really want to move to Las Vegas just to, like, mm-hmm. save, you know, state tax. Like, that's not that big a deal. But find me something cool. And he came back to me with this really cool economic stimulus package that Puerto Rico launched back in 2012. It's called Act 20. And anybody can just Google Act 20. 20 and you'll see all these great articles about it and basically the puerto rico uh, government which um is it's a u.s territory is puerto rico but because puerto ricans can't vote for the president because they're not because puerto rico is not a state um there's no taxation without representation so guess what puerto ricans don't pay federal tax they pay their own state tax which is not low but Puerto Rican, the Puerto Rican government realized how can or they they realized the benefit of they could figure out a way to um, incentivize people like myself, people who are making a lot of money, who can move their businesses and can potentially stimulate the economy in various ways. Um, and that's where Act 20 came from. So Kate and I looked at the opportunities and we said, you know what, let's give this a whirl. If it works, it'll be great. If it doesn't, hey, we spent a couple of years on a, on a Puerto Rican, uh, on a Caribbean island, like life could be worse. So cool. we came down here, we talked to people who had done it and, you know, they were from all over the U.S. They were, you know, we're called Act 20 years. That's like our nickname. And it was legit. People were doing, you know, people had successfully gotten the quote unquote decree. And so we came down, we went all in, bought a house. And it's doing everything that, you know, it, you would hope for if you're the Puerto Rican government. You know, now I have um, a pool guy and a lawn person and we have a, <laughs> a five day a week maid. So, you know, we're hiring uh, people within, you know, Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. which has a 25 percent unemployment rate, right. which is really sad. Um, and so it, it's working. It's cool. And, um, you know, people like myself, you know, I have a co-working space now. We're doing some cool things. Um, you know, I'm, I'm throwing conferences down here. It's, it's, it's a really cool vibe. And I think it's an example of what happens when a government incentivizes the right people to do right. the right things. That is very cool. Is there a time frame for this or is it open ended? Is there any chance they'll, they'll end it? So there is a chance that they'll close the loop at some point. Um, although it's working so well, there's no, like, there's no word about it because again, it's not costing them money. It's just bringing them in money. Yeah. And, you know, right. basically as, I think as long as the U S uh, is going to allow them to happen, it's going to keep happening. But basically when you get the decree, you're grandfathered in for 30 years. So no matter nice. what happens down the road, like I'll be grandfathered into this for the next 30 years, but then it might be closed off to people in the future. Wow. I got to get down there. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm going to come down and visit you. How cool with that? Let's do that. I'll, That'd be great. We'll, let's follow up. I'd love to get down there. Uh, I, like I said, I was down there in the SEAL teams. We did some work on Viegas in this little tiny island called Pinheros. It's a beautiful yeah. era, area. The diving's great. It's it's really cool. So good yeah, for you. Yeah, that's exciting. I actually, I just sent you um, the link 
to a quote-unquote crib tour. For anybody that's listening, um, you can just go to eofire.com slash crib, and I take a 17-minute walk just through my house and then through like where I'm at in the community. And this, it's, it's beautiful. You know, I see Vieques in the, in the distance. We have the Mount, uh, the mountains of El Hyunque, which is the only rainforest in the United States. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful location and it's, it's really cool. That is really cool. Thanks. I'm going to check that out. So folks, um, that's it. John Lee Dumas. John, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for all the work you're doing. Keep up the fantastic work. I really appreciate your time today. And I know our listeners do. And um, gosh, I want to I want to meet you in person. So I'm serious. I'm gonna yeah. Let's follow come up. To Puerto Rico. I want to come to Puerto Rico. My busy, you know, my <laughs> schedule is busier and shit right now. But uh, we'll find some time. And uh, thank you for the Mastery Journal. So everyone listening, go check it out. Like I, I'm not kidding. Like this is a world class product. So MasteryJournal.com, and you can use that as your planning journal for the next hundred days, and it'll really help you dial in your productivity, discipline, and focus. And I'm looking forward to getting mine. And John, I'm also going to follow up with you about a Kickstarter campaign. Maybe you can give me some ideas on what to do there. But awesome, awesome, awesome. Thanks so much for your time, buddy. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right, everyone. You heard John Lee Dumas, Entrepreneur on Fire, eofire.com, masteryjournal.com. All you got to do is um, Google him, right? And he'll come up. He's got yeah. 45 million downloads on your podcast. That's crazy. I mean, that's insane. I think we just hit two million. I was like, holy shit, we're on fire. <laughs> you are. Warrior on fire. <laughs> 45 million. I got a long way to go, buddy. Awesome work, everybody. Stay focused, train hard, feed the courage wolf. Hoo-yah. Talk to you soon. Coach Divine out. I only publicly support companies and products that I personally use and have found valuable. So I wanted to tell you about Qualia. Now, I'm not a supplement geek. I don't find them useful if I'm fueling properly. But when it comes to my cognitive strength and brain health, I am excited about the emerging industry of nootropic supplements. I've been testing Qualia, designed by my friends at the Neurohacker Collective, for several months now. And it's on the bleeding edge of nootropic research and has become the one supplement that I won't go without on a daily basis. Qualia stimulates what's called broad-spectrum cognitive enhancement, which involves optimizing multiple cognitive variables simultaneously rather than focusing on a single variable. For example, it brings me greater ability to focus and makes me feel more connected while not diminishing my overall awareness of the environment. I experience a systematic enhancement of my brain's ability to take in and process information without any stimulating effect, which would make me feel agitated like caffeine or depleted after the effect wears off. Now, for a busy entrepreneur and athlete like me, it's a no-brainer to invest in my brain health with Qualia. You can get on the Qualia bandwagon with me by visiting neurohacker.com, that's N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com, and use the code UNBEATABLEMIND15R, that's UNBEATABLEMIND15R, to get 15% off the life of your order. Trust me on this one, you won't be disappointed with Qualia. Sure 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.